This is the Rolling with Tay podcast. I'm your host, Teja, a.k.a. Tay, and this is episode 21. That's right, episode 21, and this is the season finale of season one. So I actually gave you one more episode than I said I would, but this is a great episode. Uh, my guest is Brian. We became friends on Strava. You already know what Strava is. <laughs> and now we, uh, then we became friends on Facebook. And we've been communicating, liking each other's pictures. We didn't get a chance to see each other um, last week, or actually a couple weeks ago, um, at the um, Siegel Century in Maryland. When I got home, I saw his pictures. I was like, oh, you were there? That was our, that was our time to meet. <laughs> but we will meet in person one day. For sure. For sure. <laughs> so thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. Thank you. You know, that, that there was a moment I thought we lost you to rollerblading. <laughs> there was a moment there you kind of sold it, sold the cyclist out. And I said, I think she's switching sports on us. <laughs> oh, you, you, cycling and, and inline skating both have a place in my heart. It's, I, it's... <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. They, they are running neck and neck on Strava. <laughs> oh, they are. They are. All right. So um, let's just begin. Um, when did you begin um, cycling? Spark that interest. Okay. So I, um, I play professional table tennis. That's my, that's my Superman. And cycling is kind of my Clark Kent. And I got invited uh, to move to Colorado Springs from North Carolina to live in the Olympic Training Center. And like on the second day I was there, um, uh, the, the trainer said, this is a decision that you're gonna make that's gonna affect the rest of your life. And I'm like, I just moved here, I'm 15 and what? And he said, running or cycling? And I was like, what? He was like, you need a sport to cross train. Right now, make a decision. Are you going to run or are you going to cycle? And I was looking around at the other, you know, people on my team, and they were all like mouthing cycling, cycling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because this is, you know, in Colorado Springs, it's like almost six thousand feet altitude, and just running is just brutal on breathing, and cycling is easier. So they all kind of mm. mouthed it, and I said yes cycling and then he took me like across the gym and we got on a stationary bike and he made me do intervals till I threw up. Oh my gosh. That was like literally the second day I just relocated across the country, left my family. I was 15, I'm living in a dorm and this guy made me just go until I, I vomited, you know? So that was like my introduction to, okay, I think it's going to be cycling, but I have to find a way to not see my food again. <laughs> yeah, oh so that's so that and that kind of carried me through my whole life, you know, like having that as a sport. And then when I finished high school, when I lived in Augusta, Georgia, I rode. When I moved to Maryland, I rode. When I moved to New Orleans, I rode. When I moved to South Florida, I rode. It just stayed an integral part of my life, just just for cross training. I. I I understood the importance of what cross training was to to table tennis, so that's kind of how I was introduced to it. And slowly, I I moved from cross training to racing, and I was even teaching a fitness class, and that's what got me into racing. You know. Wow! From table tennis to cycling. <laughs> unique. It's a unique story. Uh, I I I win the room every time when I explain this. I'm just amazed that 15, <laughs> you were playing table tennis. Yeah, and, actually, I started know. at 13. So how I got started in table tennis was the Nike of table tennis is in my hometown in Wilson, North Carolina. And one day the coaches came to um, our school and, did a, and they did a pep rally. And they did, a, a, you know, exhibition. They were, you know, lobbing and doing all these really cool shots and then they gave us these balls, these yellow balls. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. 
that's that's what I'm going to do because I had already recognized I was going to be an athlete. I just hadn't chosen a sport because I was doing sports throughout the entire year, and which just kind of drove my mom crazy because I just I never allowed her <laughs> to take a break from taking me to different you know um, trainings and sports and competitions and. Um, I got home and I got in front of TV and I held up the yellow ball and I said, got an announcement, everybody. I'm going to be a professional table tennis player. And my <laughs> brother said, get your ass out of the way. <laughs> That's a true story. That is a true story. Just get, I don't care what you're going to be. Just move out of the way of the TV. And <laughs> kind of within like two weeks, uh, they realized I was serious. And and how how it became much more serious was um the family that owned the table tennis company they were given a grant to for a coach to coach us and the coach basically said look i'm wealthy i don't need to pay myself this money that came from the table tennis association so if you guys finish school you get a certain amount of money if you come here you do your homework and then if you assemble equipment and and make orders you can earn this money from the grant to pay for your competitions. So that's what kind of skyrocketed my involvement in the sport because if I wanted to go to Miami, and I'm probably going to show my age, but at that time in 1986, the, the um, minimum wage was $3.41. So I knew how many hours I needed to work to pay for hotel, gas, food, entry, to play every tournament. So that's kind of where it, I, I had funding. Yeah. <laughs> I worked, I made money, and then I would, you know, pay for my own competition. So that, that's what really, you know, it kind of put it in the fast lane, you know. And, and that program was looking for Olympians. We're not looking for recreational people. We're building Olympians. And it ended up turning into a group of 100, and then it compressed down to probably like 10 or 12 of us that were just elite top juniors in their age category, you know. And that's what led to two years later me going to the Olympic Training Center, but it started at 13, you know. And it was weird to walk to a tournament and you see no black people. Mm-hmm. And then when you see a black person, he says, I'm Dominican, bro. <laughs> you know, because at that time it's football, you know, all the classic sports, track and field, all the classic sports that black people dominate in. It was nothing in table tennis. And that's what drew me to it, is that this is a sport where nobody actually looks like me. I think I'm going to learn more than I'm willing to even understand because culturally, table tennis is an international sport, which means mm-hmm. I'm going to just learn from people just because nobody's going to have my shared experience, you know? Wow. That is amazing. Um, just to go back a little bit, I definitely can picture your brother telling you move out the way. For sure. For sure. <laughs> definitely picture that. And then just at such a young age, like, Wow. Yeah, you know, this program, they, they when they went to the school, they said we needed people between 10 and 13 because they know if you're going to produce a world-class athlete, that's the age. And really, the age should have been like, you know, like 9 or 10. But, you know, whoever came were the people that whoever came. And right at that, that was a, it was a really small window where I was making – an adult decision about what sport I was going to play. Mm-hmm. When it was track and field, when it was gymnastics, when it was swimming, when it was football, when it was basketball, I dominated all year. But the moment that I saw the uniqueness of this sport, it changed me because I think the first time I went to Las Vegas, I saw Ice T and Jerry Lewis in Caesar's Palace in um, an elevator. Mm-hmm. And that 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 kind of rocked my world. And, and you know, Jerry Lewis acted kind of buffoonish in his movies, but mm-hmm. when he was walking through this casino, he was like a pimp. He had like five women with him. 
And, and I, I even said something to him in the elevator. I said, you, you act stupid in those movies. And this is the time you could smoke. He had a cigar and he said, kid, you got to be real cool to act stupid in movies. And that is a true story. <laughs> you know, and that was one part of the summer, right? And then the next part of the summer, we went to Miami and all my friends had gone to football camps that were about 20 miles away. And I went 800 miles to Miami, mm, mm-hmm. right? So when I came back, we're all sharing stories. And I said, I got to see Miami Vice being shot at my hotel. I was standing at the Eden Rock Hotel. And I said, and he, I, I do you one better. I saw boobs on the beach. And I'm not <laughs> talking about like boobs in a bikini. I saw real boobs on the beach. I said, my summer was better than yours. So that kind of completely changed my world because I realized how cultured mm-hmm. I was being. And and mm-hmm. once my mom saw that, you know, I started reading different books and mm-hmm. I, I started just my attitude changed. She said, okay, okay, I think he's just made a life decision, an adult decision at 13. So that kind of just just set up this chain reaction where I was looking for everything that was unique, you know? Yeah. Table tennis. It exposed you. Yeah. And it was right at the time that I was ready to, I was, I was ready to accept that decision, whatever that decision was. I mean, it could have been inline skating. It could have been just about any sport. Cause when I got to Olympic training center, other sports were asking for me. Mm-hmm powerlifting, track and field, they were saying, we, we, we want to test this guy. This guy has a body that's built like Mike Tyson. He's a natural, he doesn't lift weights. Maybe t- a ping pong where his focus on hand-eye coordination and reflexes is not his sport. He should be doing a power explosive sport. And I just rejected it all because t- table tennis had already shown me so much so early, you know. Mm-hmm. So with so that, that said, said um, what's one of the biggest um, lessons you've learned with training elite athletes? With training with elite athletes, is you know, it's this it's kind of a shared admiration for each other that nobody really wants to talk about, right? And then once you once you really get you move to. Um, the Olympic Training Center, you're in a dorm, you're with 16 people, and everybody's a little standoffish at the beginning of the school year. And as you start to go through the training, you start to say, this person has unbelievable reflexes. This person has unbelievable footwork. This person has unbelievable power. This person is probably the most strategic person on this team. This person can really handle their emotions well. So then you start to realize that you know, it, you have a shared experience to where you can start to appreciate that these other people do something better than you and to not be intimidated by it. It just says, you know, one of my best friends is, is, is a white dude. And I had never in my whole career never found an athlete that could outwork me. He's white, uh, family's wealthy, lives on the golf course, but this dude could work at like almost like he knew like he was poor. He had that work ethic. And we've, we've been best friends since 1988. And uh, his mom and dad were both uh, national champions and he's a two-time Olympian. And I just never seen anybody work that hard and it just drew me to him. And he had never seen somebody improve as fast as I did because he started at six and I started at 13. And at 16 years old, we were the same level. Mm. So he just, he appreciated, wait, this guy did it in three years and it took me nine years. Mm -hmm. That's something for me, you know, to stand up and and pay attention to. And just just how his work ethic, that that probably changed, forever changed my approach to where every time I went to a new team, I was more accepting of... um, the willingness to learn from somebody else that had something better than me, you know, because mm-hmm. we, we, we tend to be intimidated by somebody that's better, but once you can kind of knock down that wall 
and become friends, you kind of you kind of humanize that person. Then then you get the kind of you know you get to enjoy the bonus of tell me how you do this. And then there's a back and forth of just two experts trying to trying to learn each other. You know. Mm-hmm. No, no, you're absolutely, absolutely right. right. I, know I know some people do get intimidated. Um, just in like the cycling community, someone's faster than you you tend to not want to ride with them because, you know, you feel you're going to get dropped. Right. But, yep. You know, <laughs> getting dropped a couple of times will make you, make that's, you a little that's, better. That's, that's a part of the job. <laughs> you, you know, like next time you ride with them, I don't want to get dropped. So you're going to work um, harder, faster to keep up. And then they still may drop you. Then the next time you go out, they may drop you again. But sooner or later, you keep working. They're not dropping you anymore. You're right there with them. Right. I think most people don't, they don't get to say what you just said. Like they don't say that out loud. Mm-hmm. They don't say, look, that this, this is the gap between me and this person right now. When this person is going 24 miles an hour, they're working their aerobic engine and I'm absolutely working my anaerobic engine. I am breathing. I'm about to suck my lips. <laughs> and then slowly you, you close the gap, but nobody ever says it out loud so they can actually enjoy that process. Because mm-hmm. that's what I've learned over over this course of just riding so long is to really just enjoy, enjoy the process. Because at the end of the day, like if you were to have a really good result, that result is the culmination of a tremendous amount of training, <laughs> right? So how could you ever enjoy that one little result compared to the process of training. So I just, you know, I train twice a day. I wake up in the morning, I ride 30 miles. At night, everybody go to sleep. I go out and I ride another 25, 30 miles. It's, it's just a relationship with the process that I really enjoy. And the benefit is I get to go ride with people and do well. I get to go to races. But the real meat and potatoes is the training. And where people have a conflict is they try to make the meat and potatoes the result or the performance, which is short-lived. You have a great day. Hey, it's tomorrow. Your day's over. Mm-hmm. You don't get to have that as much fun for how much work you put in. So if you're happy about the work you put in, then then you have a real relationship that makes you want to want to just keep getting up. Because like in my area, like of all the, the black cyclists, I, I've done the most miles. And I wasn't competing with anybody. I'm like at like 8,000 miles. And everybody else is like at 6,500. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like th- that guy loves the bike more than me because he because he just rides more than me. This is not about him winning because I rode eight thousand miles and um, I've raced eighty miles. That's that's how many miles I've raced this year. Eighty, only eighty miles. I raced four times this year, but I've done eight thousand miles. So I tell everybody, this is not about racing for me. I love racing, but this is about the relationship, you know. Kudos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, that that is dedication and discipline. And I'm glad that you still love both of what you're doing, like from table tennis to cycling, because I can see right just in my head me thinking like now cycling is not just an enjoyable recreational um, activity I used to do now I have to train and now it doesn't become so enjoyable and I can and and I'm be honest like part of me wants to take my cycling to the next to the next level like I I I am I know I just have to put in time and the discipline to um, become a better cyclist. Um, right now, I'm just enjoying the the journey of cycling and learning my bike and learning the streets, you know, so to speak. Yeah, but listen, this this would this would is my advice when I ask people, are they ready to turn that corner? It's really what are you fundamentally right? Like. Um, you can either have motivation or you can have discipline, right? Motivation means you're looking at a goal. Mm-hmm. You're training for weight loss. You're training 
for a priority A race where you want to do well. You're training to do a century like Seagull to where you're training to make sure you can finish the 100 miles. See, that's that's motivation. Mm -hmm. Discipline is saying, I'm just going to do it every day. Mm -hmm. and, and again, I was, as a pro athlete, I was stuck in between those when I first retired from table tennis because the only way I knew how to do it is I'm training for the national championships. I'm training because I'm going to Europe to play in the league mm -hmm. or I'm training to make the Olympic team. And it took me a long time to just shift into discipline to where, hey, I'm just a creature of nature. I'm going to wake up mm -hmm. and I'm just going to go put on my kit and I'm going to ride the bike. That was my biggest, you know, obstacle because inside of discipline, you can still do the things that motivate you like seagull and racing and weight loss and, and being able to do the fastest group ride. You can still do that under the attitude of discipline. But if it's motivation, some days you're just not going to wake up motivated. <laughs> right? right? You're just not going to be motivated that day. But if it's discipline, you don't even care about motivation. Okay. You know, and that's kind of the thing because when I first retired and I became a husband, I became a father. The first thing I sacrificed was my training because now I'm a dad, now I'm a husband. So I gained like 50 pounds. And then I slowly took it off and I was struggling with what am I doing if I'm training? Because I'm used to training for a goal. Mm -hmm. And now the goal is just be healthy, just mm. be fit, enjoy, you know, keep being able to keep your youth and still be talented at this sport. And then along the way, you can set some goals like racing and centuries, but don't make it I have to be the best racer because it's hard to hold that type of motivation that long, mm. you know. And, and I had to learn the hard way. It was weird for me to look at myself in the mirror and say, there's an extra 50 pounds on you. Because during my table tennis career, I stayed between 8 and 10% body fat for 22 years. Mm. I did not let myself go over 10% body fat. So that's a person that says, I will eat lettuce today <laughs> today i'm eating lettuce i used to eat my the number one meal for weight loss for me was a bag of spinach and one apple that was it wow. right man i'm like i can't do that now <laughs> i'm not interested in doing that now because that's yeah. motivation yeah. but discipline to say eat this much and work out this much and then mm -hmm. make sure there's a deficit or you can maintain a certain weight you know so i'm, I'm still learning myself yeah. It's all about balance. Yeah. So what type of talent do you need to be a good, to be a good cyclist? Good question. Uh, I get this a lot. Um, so you need two primary skills, right? Like ability-based skills means mom and dad has sex and they pass this on to you, right? You need to have a good engine, Right. And then you need to have horsepower. So in between those two, you really want to make sure that you have a polished off engine. Because what people do when they start riding with group rides, they don't have a good engine yet. Hmm. But what they're doing is trying to keep up with people that have already built their engine. So this person may say, you know, on a scale of zero, one to five, I was in zone five, almost killing myself to keep up when that person was in zone three. Well, we got to give that person a two year. That person had a two year head start to build up their engine. So and that's going to determine whether or not you're going to be a good racer. But it's not going to necessarily determine whether or not you can ride group rides, group rides well, because group rides don't necessarily require high um, horsepower, but it mm -hmm. does require a good engine because these group rides are 20, 30, 40, 50 miles. You need a mm -hmm. good engine. And you have to look at yourself between are you, a, are, you, are you a diesel engine that's sitting on top of a Porsche, which means you have a good engine, but your horsepower is tiny mm. or reversed. You're an 18-wheeler, and anytime you want, you have a Porsche on top of that the way you can go high-octane high horsepower. So 
being able to manage both of those and develop them, it will really determine whether or not you're a balanced cyclist. You know, I mean, I look like a football player, but I have an incredible engine. So when I go to these group rides, they look at me like that guy's going to be the first casualty. <laughs> they do it every single time. They give me a look like, okay, dude, and then some dude say, do you know your way back to the car? I said, I'm not getting dropped today. I said, I'm not getting dropped today. And then at the end of the ride, he's giving me a fist bump. He said, man, you're strong. And I, and I was like, I know it's because I look like a football player and you believe inside this chest that's not a really good aerobic system. Mm. And it is because I spent all these years developing it and, and, and polishing it off. You know, so that's the thing the person has to realize. Did I just get dropped and it because my engine is bad? Or did I get dropped when everybody went high horsepower? And and everybody knows that answer. <laughs> they know it. Hey man, these guys, they man, they were chilling. And then I just died. That means your engine mm. is trash, right? Because you didn't develop it. Or you say my engine is fine, but the moment that it ramped up. And everybody started really going high octane. I get dropped, or and and, and and racing is a combination of both. It's just complete chaos. It's complete and utter chaos. You're in horsepower. You're in engine at all times, and this is what it is. You're you're riding engine, and then horsepower, horsepower, horsepower. You need a break, and then they go horsepower. And you go, ah, I'm dead. I just got dropped. Because I didn't recover fast enough, mm. right? So it's it's a unique relationship between those two. But those are the two primary ability base. You have to be born with it, and you have to develop it. You know, so because I, we always have a debate. I think there's it might have been a Jamaican sprinter. He said sprinters aren't made; they're born. Mm. And then I, I hear these random looking dudes say, "I'm a sprinter," and I look at them at the group ride, and I go, "You're not a sprinter, man." Your, your, your mom and daddy was having sex. They didn't put that on the table. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what they put on the table. They put nice endurance, but they didn't put high-octane, explosive, fast-twitch muscles on the table. Because that's really what it is. This, this is one of, like, you know, you can play football, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to try in football. If, if, if you play basketball, you can go down the court, and you ain't got to get involved. If, if you play if you play baseball, the ball might even, might not even go to left field. But in cycling, you have to pedal. Yeah. And that's what I like also liked about table tennis is you have to be combative with that other person. You cannot hide your way out of it. In cycling, it is a true uh, Darwinism type of sport. The strongest people are going to be the ones that survive. You know, because it's it's pedaling, pedaling in ability base. You know, so engine, horsepower, what type of relationship you have with them, and which one fuels your performance. Because I, I do these races. I did two races about three weeks ago, and both races were twenty seven point four miles an hour for uh, 18, 18 miles, two different times. Mm-hmm. My heart rate was 157 for the first race, and my heart rate was 153 for the second race. That is pretty much in my aerobic engine. There was no time in that race I was put in difficulty. Mm. Right? So that's how I determined whether or not I should even go to the race. I go out, I do a workout the week of the race, and I said, okay, this is my litmus test to where it's going to let me know if my performance and my prepared to actually go do a race. You know, and I, I don't know if you have a power meter, but I go out, I do a one hour ride at about 330 watts. When I go at 330 watts for one hour, it's about 23.5 miles an hour that I can do. That that group of people in my Cat 3 category, they can't drop me. And then when I get to the race, I only need 265 watts to finish the race. So I have another 70 watts sitting out there that I didn't even get a chance to need because the race is not that fast. It's not that explosive. So I'm looking at science mm-hmm. to let me know whether or not I'm how I'm going to perform, you know? So if, if you pedal long enough, the science is going to come to you. 
You ain't got to go to the science. <laughs> you're going to be pedaling and you're going to be in the front or you're going to be pedaling and you're going to be, you know, you're going to be like Jack in Titanic. You just, you just going to sink, you know? So you mentioned power meter. What's the benefit, right, of having a power meter and a heart rate monitor? I'm just for the record, I'm really a big advocate for the heart rate monitor. And, and, and it's because it's, the way you have to look at it, right, is I ask people, I say, when you're riding at your absolute limit, and then you decide you need to slow down, there's two things that are speaking to you. Is it the lactic acid in your legs? Because if so, power meter is your alpha metric. If it's your breathing, the way you just like, I can't get my breathing down, then heart rate is your alpha metric. Because both of those are metrics that determine performance, but which one speaks to you louder? And for me, it's always been heart rate. If you look at my workouts on Strava, you, you, you'll see zone two, zone three, zone four. I ride in those zones because they're heart rate zones. Now, those heart rate zones still produce a power zone. But I never use that to let me know whether or not I'm going fast or slow. I use my alpha metric, which is my breathing. It's not my legs. And then one of my training partners, he uses power meter. Mm-hmm. When I have to slow down, it's an overload of lactic acid in my legs. That's I can't buffer it out faster than it's coming in. Mm-hmm. So you have to slow down. And I'm like, I can't breathe. <laughs> so I have to actually slow down so I can breathe better. So mm-hmm. it's, it's in between those. So the benefit is is based on which one of those speak to you the most. And that's the thing that when I whenever I tell somebody that, they go back and they monitor their workout a lot different now because they're trying to find out at that moment which one of those is speaking to them the loudest, you know. But I'm 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 heart rate advocate, you know. Just because that, that applies to me, but I don't try to push heart rate on anybody else. I say, yeah. tell me what yours is. Everybody knows what that is also. Mm-hmm. You know, every, when I asked, I asked, that, asked that question, they immediately said <laughs> the one that bothers them. No, it's the legs, man. It's the legs. So you need a power meter. For me, it's the heart rate. I say, why you don't have a heart rate strap? So you're dying a horrible death out there with a heart rate. You don't even know what that <laughs> number is. <laughs> right? You just, I said, you, you, you just, putting gasoline on yourself and you're just bursting into flames and you don't even know at that moment that you burst into flames. Cause that's the way I look at it. When you go over the top, you just, poof, you just, you just in flames. But if you know that number, you get to back off just before that happens, you know? Yeah. So. Get a heart rate monitor and a uh, power meter. Absolutely. <laughs> What are the benefits of being a part of a cycling club and what cycling clubs are you a part of? Uh, you know, when I first, again, when I first started riding and I got, I, I, I go a little bit backwards. Um, when I first started riding, I was teaching a spin class. And then one of my friends, we became really best friends. He's still a good friend of mine. Um, this is like 20 years ago. I, uh, he was in the spin class and I was saying, everybody see the, see the trees and feel the breeze and see the clouds. And he was looking at me like Negro, that is not what cycling is. <laughs> he could tell that I rode bikes, but I wasn't in cycling culture because now I went into teaching a, an aerobic class and he said, Hey, meet me Saturday. Come back here. I'll meet you at eight o'clock. Cool. I meet him. He has a truck. He has two mountain bikes on the back of the truck. And I said, "This is gonna be interesting." He takes me to the mic, takes me to the mountain bike park. Tay, I hit everything in the park except for the trail. <laughs> Trees and logs and 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 um, uh, rock gardens with big. I hit everything right, and then he could tell from that day this dude has a huge engine. He doesn't have any mountain bike skills. And shortly after that, I'm riding and a mountain bike team comes riding by. And I say, can I keep up with you guys? I mean, can I ride with you guys? They say, if you can keep up, keep, if you can keep up. I ended up riding with these guys. I didn't know they were elite racers. 
And I kept up with him for two hours. And then when we finished, the guy said, go to this address right here. I heard him say, Vinny, we got one. He said, hey, go to this address. <laughs> and and this, is back, this is back in the day when you got to go home and then you got to go on MapQuest and you got to like print out <laughs> the address. So I went home, print out the address, went to this bike shop. I walked in, they had a big bag full of uniforms and power gels and power bars and Oakley glasses and mountain bike shoes. And they said, look, this is the best guy on our team. He just said to sponsor you outright, you're going to be a state champion. Mm. And that was my first introduction to like a cycling club. And then the next week I got introduced to this like 15 man mountain bike team. So my first uh, soiree from just making cycling a cross training sport in a sport that I, that I taught as a fitness instructor mm-hmm. was mountain bike racing. And lo and behold, the next year, I was Florida State mountain bike champion. Wow. So that was, and, and that that kind of started my um, my relationship with teams and, and bike clubs. Because I didn't realize, I mean, these guys were kind of like, they were, you know, the team was Italian. So it was like, you know, Sopranos meets Jackass. These guys were clowns. <laughs> you know, after this, I'll send you a video. I was there last month and I walked in the shop and they said, ping pong. Because the 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 team has so many Bryans, they would not call me Brian. Mm. We got landscaper, we got you know <laughs> painter, and they would say, "Hey, ping pong's on the phone. Hey, ping pong's here. Hey, come over here. Let's hang out a little bit with ping pong. You know, he's in town for two days. So that and twenty years later, I still have a really good relationship with them. But that kind of changed me from being just it being a cross training sport to saying. I'm going to start enjoying these relationships in cycling like I did in table tennis. Mm-hmm. And then, and really the benefit is, you know, like you have a multitude of different type of riders on, on your team. And locally I ride for team flow cycling out of Raleigh and I race for GII, which is out of DMV. So, and people ask me what, explain what that means. I said, look, I go to the party with team flow. But the moment that I hear the electric slide, I go find GI. <laughs> there it is. That's that's it. The moment I hear the electric slide, okay, this is the race team. And again, I mean, most teams have one or the other. Not a lot of teams have both. Yeah. Because the culture between riding bikes in groups and racing is completely different. And this sport is really like an elitist, elitist sport. Mm-hmm. And then racing is an even smaller percentage of that elite attitude. Because locally for Team Flow, we don't have a race team. So I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to ride for a team that's, you know, Anthony Carter in DMV for GI. He created that team. He told me seven years ago, I'm going to create a race team inside of this bike club. And that's mm-hmm. actually what he did. And he asked me years ago, I want you to join the team. And then this year I joined the team in May, you know, so those, oh, nice. those are the benefits, you know, so. Nice. That's what's up. To jump back sure. um, to your table tennis career. Um, can you tell me what the dynamic table tennis is? Yeah. So um, I had a real advantage when I started, um, when I started playing uh, table tennis. The first day I walked in, my coach was number three in the country. So I never really learned a bad technique. So I go from being a top junior, uh, top cadet, to being a top high schooler. And then I was the number one college player in the country. And then after my college, I went to play in Europe. So I had this encyclopedia of perfect information from about 18 coaches that range from, you know, like a, just a low-level coach to people that have won Olympic medals. And then when I decided that my career was over as a, as a, my, my international career was over, I wasn't mm-hmm. going to travel because I lived in Romania for four years and played in the league over there. Once I realized that was over, I said, I, I need another 
I need another profession, but I don't want to leave table tennis. Mm. And that's when I said, I, I want to become a coach because I've spent my life having experts make sure I do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. So I had the foundation of what coaching was. And then I just realized I needed to kind of flip the switch and, and change my focus from me as a selfish athlete to me as an unselfish coach. So what you realize when you coach, right, you got to stand there, <laughs> you know, and the reason Dynamic Tentions was created was I can reach a broader audience of people. I can create a training video. Mm-hmm. What it basically is, is 11 training videos that, you know, are about in total 25 hours of training and that mm. cover every skill in table tennis and they're in download form and I own it 100%. So I took all my knowledge from table tennis and put it in these videos. And to this day, you know, I'm still getting, you know, international sales every single day. And wow. the way, the way you kind of corner the market is you say, if table tennis, when table tennis becomes mainstream and a person were to type in table tennis training in YouTube or Google, I want my name to come up. And probably 150 to 200 times in my life, a person has come to me and they said, I put table tennis in YouTube and your video was the first video to come up. So that's, that's what I want is to say when it comes to table tennis learning, Templeton's education. I'm. I'm. I want to be the person that that people find, because because what that is, that new person is a new sale. Right. And for me, you know, in this day and age with black people having to own a business, what I really wanted to do is really build some generational wealth, because right. this is something to where it's just gonna live on. Because once you have something like this and it's just out there, I don't do anything. Bing, I look down, says somebody bought a video. It automatically downloads the damn, I just keep riding my bike. You know, because for for most people work, you have to be there. You have to physically be there. This, I've already been there. I did the 30 years of being an athlete and learning, and that's really what I wanted to um, to create with Dynamic Table Tennis. And now moving on into a, a, a... a training-based software that's even a higher level than dynamic table tennis. Because again, I mean, you can only make a certain amount of money standing there. Yeah. When yeah. you're really starting to be an entrepreneur is when you make money and you sleep. <laughs> you know. Your passive income right there. Yep. That's my favorite word, passive income. <laughs> that's my favorite word too. Yes. <laughs> wow. Like, this has been, first of all, thank you again. No, thank you. You know, I've been watching all these podcasts, and I'm like, these, these are really interesting people. I'm not sure I'm interested enough to even be in the podcast. <laughs> no, I was saying that. I was like, nah, I think my story's kind of boring. Nah, it's kind of boring. Nah, not worth it. Listen, I want you back on here, and I want you to talk about, like, going death. Right with certain type of training, f- from from cycling to to table tennis. Because I'm gonna be honest, I the, the table tennis like we have this this gymnasium like the the boys and girls club and they had table tennis, and I'd go there and hit the ball a couple times and didn't know what I was doing and was like all right I'm done with this like oh you gotta send me some video or picture next time oh I love to see you. I was like. Didn't know what the hell. And to see that you have gone to these levels within table tennis. Listen, the only thing I haven't done in table tennis is made the Olympic team. Junior champion, collegiate champion, state champion, national champion. Never the only the only goal that I didn't achieve was the goal that the program was created for. Mm-hmm. The, the program said this is an Olympic bound program. And it says two things, right? Because I tried out for the Olympics like five times, right? And it says two things. It says that I was good enough to be elite enough to actually 
try out for the team. But I was never quite good enough to make the team. And really what it is, right, is when you have to make the Olympic team, you make it in terms of continents. Mm -hmm. So our North American continent, which consists of Canada and the U.S., takes three spots. Mm. Wait, we have about 16 people that are super elite. We have at least 12 Americans and eight of them elite. And the same thing for Canada. So what happens is they put these 24 people together and they throw three cheeseburgers in the middle of the circle and they say, everybody go eat. Which is just a, uh, I mean, it is the equivalent of like Hunger Games. It's Squid Games. It's just, hey, it's just dog eat dog. And I tried out five times and I never really got close. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it says two things. You, you have been elite but you have not been elite of the elite, which is something I can live with, you know, but that just, there was nothing else for me when I said it's time to, time to retire. I have done everything. You tried out for something five times, you didn't make it. You know what? Yeah, I think you're good. <laughs> you're good. Listen, Listen. You're, you're elite in our hearts. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Brian, I want to thank you. Listen, next time, let's talk about the disciplines. Mountain yes. bike, road bike, cross, gravel. Let's, let's, let's dig into that because probably between then, now, and then I'm probably going to get a gravel or a cross bike. That's kind of my next goal because in North, in North Carolina, season's over mm -hmm. right now for road bike. And everybody's doing cross and gravel and i don't have a cross or gravel bike <laughs> so that's that's gotcha. the next purchase so and in south i lived in south florida for 20 years i've been in north carolina for four years mm -hmm. so in south florida you ride year round they have races year round oh okay so in, but in north carolina they have seasonal based on the discipline so i realized that all of a sudden road bikes you don't even see them no more but cross bikes come out so i was mm. like okay i, I need to I need to get into the North Carolina schedule of cycling so I know we're phasing out of road bike and then we're starting to phase into cross. We're starting to phase out of cross and phase into gravel. So we can probably get into that to see what type of training is required for those disciplines, but probably more importantly with skill sets because gravel is a mix between riding on the dirt and road. And cross mm -hmm. is a mix between a road bike and mountain bike because you have to jump obstacles. You have to ride in the dirt, sand pits, grass. So I, I, I find a little bit of that, you know, intriguing because if you're a good mountain biker, you're not going to really have a, a big problem with cross or gravel because you're used to dirt. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason I'm kind of looking forward to kind of dabbling in those two, those two, those two other disciplines. We'll get into it. Season two, I want you back on. Deal. We'll talk about me. <laughs> Deal. I'm here. You know, you know, you know I'm here. Hey, and, and stop inline skating so much. I, I was scared oh, for man. a moment. Listen, listen. <laughs> I was scared for a moment. I was scared. I didn't see that bike for a while. <laughs> listen, there's a place for both cycling and skating. You're right. You are right. <laughs> but it seems like you had like broke up with one and was fully dating the other. <laughs> I was, I was. Yeah, you like, I'm not even talking to you right now, Road Bike. We on a real break. I'm completely cuddling with airline skating right now. I was. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. But I'm back. I'm back. Okay. We're back together. <laughs> that was the reason I didn't even ask if you were gonna be at Seagull because I just hadn't seen I didn't even see you do a lot of road bike training. Before you even went, I know. <laughs> I think I think you went that kind of cold turkey. I did. Okay, I was like, wait, I didn't, I didn't see, I didn't see a lot of workouts. Yeah, no, nope, yep. Yeah. I said, uh, I could do this, and yeah, we'll talk about that later. But okay. <laughs> I, I finished. <laughs> I finished. <laughs> um, but yeah, I definitely want to have you back on. And we'll get deep into it. And because I'm interested as well as um, like 
gravel. Um, I was just talking to someone yesterday about a, a gravel bike, but um, I definitely want to have you back on for season two of the Rolling with Tay podcast. And uh, yeah, I this has been, this has been great. Um, you have some super dope stories, and and you're very inspiring. I'm flattered. <laughs> Listen, I, you know, th- this is when I lived in Europe. Um, I lived in a city called Costanza. It was 250,000 Romanians and Brian. I was the only black person in the city, right? That was a really depressing time in my life because at this time, there was no way to fellowship. Mm-hmm. It was 2001. The internet hadn't, is not what it is today. And what I like now is I get to be really close to people and to look into their life. Cause I say the people that allow me to be into their virtual world, whether it be Instagram, you know, uh, Facebook or Strava, I get a chance to look in to their life and get inspired by how they see bikes, you know? So that's, that's the thing that, you know, I'm, I'm flattered that, uh, everybody else, to me, their story is as unique as mine. So that's probably the biggest takeaway that I like about cycling is that that the fellowship, you know. Yeah, definitely, De- definitely. I I just love it, and I see that same fellowship. <laughs> yeah. And in- inline skating. Yes. <laughs> you know, so I that's that's part of it. You know, of course is getting on your bike and riding, um, doing your miles and um, beating those times. But it's, it's also, you know, like you said, the fellowship and just getting together with other riders and, and finding out that you have something more in common than just riding bikes or just inline skating or whatever it is. Just uh, if it's table tennis, if it's hiking, you know, and this one common thing brought you all together. So, um, yeah, I, I just love that about the different communities that I'm um, in. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I love this cycling community. I, I get to meet people from California, people like you from New York, people that we've all admired each other. Now we get a chance to see each other. So next time there's a big event, I'm going to make sure that you're there and we get to see each other. Yeah, definitely. Let's make it happen. I look forward to meeting you. Absolutely. All right. So this is the Rolling with Tay podcast show. (laughs) And I'm your host, Tasia, a.k.a. Tay. And this is the season finale of Rolling with Tay podcast. Uh, Episode 21. Thank you so much, Brian. Any final words? It has been a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time. This was awesome. All right. Thank you.